Hey everybody, welcome back to Choose Inclusion and our special segment ongoing called Black Voices Matter. Um, we are really excited to be back. Uh, we have a great, great guest today. I'm really excited to talk to her. First of all, I want to say hi to Nina and Mike. Hello, team. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thank you, thank you. So. We want to, you know, we, we've been, um, you know, really focused on um, just listening, right? Listening to Black voices from from all walks of life throughout the U.S. And, you know, in, in the wake of George Floyd's murder and now so many others, um, you know, the list goes on and on, sadly. So, uh, but today we wanted to talk to Kayla Lee, who is the CEO and founder of Marin Consulting, and she just moved to um, to Colorado Springs, right, Kayla? Like just a few months ago. Yes. Yeah. So, first of all, welcome. Um, it's great to have you. And how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, you know, I, I think that just in this time, I have highs, I have lows, but overall, I'd say I'm doing pretty well. And well, and what's interesting, and, and um, what I love about what the, the work you're doing, first of all, is you're you're helping creatives and technologists start and finish meaningful projects. Um, I love that, and because it, you put it a very um, unique way, basically, like you're helping people do what they're helping others to do. Is that right? <laughs> basically, mm-hmm. how did you get into that work? Um, I think it really came from um, exploration. So about two years ago, I decided to make a career shift into technology. And so I was super excited. I went to a coding boot camp, did all these things. And I just kind of, you know, hit, I would say kind of hit a wall, like the opportunities that they say that existed for people of color, what they called as a gap, I actually realized it wasn't simply a gap, it was actually really a lot of discrimination. And I remember last year, I was at a woman in tech conference, and I was having these really dynamic conversations with different women um, and different at different times in their careers. And at the end, they would say, thank you so much for helping me. Because basically I would listen to them and let them know like, actually what you see as a problem is, is an, an opportunity. And I remember going from recruiter to recruiter to recruiter being frustrated. It's like, why? It's like, why am I not getting a job? And there was something that went off in me. I'm a spiritual person that just said like, this is your job, helping people, helping people here is your job. So that's really the first time that was awakened into me, awakened to me that, hey, what you're doing specifically within technology, supporting people or supporting creatives in doing this work um, is actually really important. I think we were all on mute. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, technology. My, that's, my that's just, sorry. Guy, I apologize. I was, I was talking to mute the whole time and I'm like, <laughs> there are no Nobody's listening to me, Kayla. Nobody. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> blind, blind guy needs to take off mute. So, um, Kayla, we're super excited to have you on. And I, um, so, obviously, the conversation it's it's broader than just technology when we talk about uh, discrimination. I'd love to know 
you know, from, from your experience, it's like, it's, it, it wasn't just, you know, entering into technology, the technology industry that made you aware of the discrimination that's out there. So I, I'd, I'd love to get a little bit more about your background. It's, it's like, it's, it's not like poof, two years, uh, you know, into the, into this and all of a sudden there's discrimination. I'd, I'd kind of like to hear, you know, uh, you know, other, other parts of your life, if you don't mind, I, I it's, uh, I think you're a fascinating person. I'd love to get your, your broader picture, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, you know, I was actually thinking about this today. Um, when was the first time that I was kind of aware that I was different, but considered different in a bad way? And it would probably be in uh, elementary school. Um, and I actually think elementary school and school in general is a lot of times when people first feel like their impact of not feeling accepted. Just want to put that out there. But I remember um, like this student saying like, you know, black people stink you know, and then there's kind of like this thing of being made fun of and really being, I was the only person of color in my class, you know, and I grew up um, really in that atmosphere. And my mom, you know, got, got us into the school, into the neighborhood really because she was seeking an edu a better education uh, for my sister and I. And um, I'd say that, you know, I really believe that somehow if I went to college, if I did everything that, you know, was told like, hey, go to college, get good grades, and basically the world would open up to you. And what I have found is that the world opens up to some people. And um, for people such as me in my, in my particular case, sometimes you have to kind of you have extra work to do. You have extra things to work through. And so um, I don't know if that's really answering your question, but I, I would say like, that's probably the first time I've uh, experienced it. Most recently, one of the reasons why I had such a big career shift is because I was working at a school in Oakland called Roots International. And I've worked in schools all over the world. And when I saw the treatment of students and teachers and community members, it was something I had never imagined in my life. And so I'm a fourth generation educator. And so my you know, grandparents taught in uh, classes that were segregated and, and eventually integrated. And my classroom was completely segregated. I had no white students. We didn't have access to clean water. Um, and the school wasn't clean regularly and um, we had to buy our own supplies. And so it's just something like I've never seen before. And I think for me, it was just like, how can such wealth coming from Silicon Valley that has one of the largest economies in the world be alongside such poverty? You know, I, and I, I think for me, it was that moment, it's just like, we're not, we have not come as far as we think that we have. And in places at times that think that they are very progressive and the shadows are those places where there is just inequity like you couldn't even believe. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so true. I think it's, there's this false narrative of our country, right? That there were, we're always on this path of progress and things are always getting better. Um, when in reality, it's, it's, that's not the case, right? It's like we have to kind of fight for every single piece of progress we can get, and it's not just going to happen naturally. It's got to take effort from individuals. I mean, how, how have you navigated these spaces as you've talked to people about these systemic inequities? 
Um, I think that in the beginning, like I did a lot of like trying to explain to people. And I, what I find is that people are just like, oh, teachers need to get paid more or different things like that, but there's really not a lot of change. And so, um, you know, people I think are aware of it, but it's not anything that people feel like galvanized around like to really make a change, um, unfortunately. Have you seen like a change in the, in the, the conversation, the rhetoric or anything since June when, you know, George Floyd was murdered and the uprisings happened? And have you seen a change happen then versus where we are now three months later? Um, I think that there's been a unique opportunity, but I feel that it's a window to tell you the truth. Um, I don't know, I, I feel like change takes a while and to see if the change actually is going to come into place, it'll be it'll take it'll take much longer than what we've seen so far. So I think that there's been organizations that have you know they wrote statements, uh, some hired people, um, but I, I I think that it's yet to be seen. Honestly, I'm just kind of I'm kind of in a wait and see uh, vein with that. Do you do you feel encouragement though, Kayla? About you know, so I I I'm, like I I'm always really curious on the business community on uh, you know helping. Uh, it, it takes resources. Like we talk about the inequities of of Oakland and how close they are to um, you know Silicon Valley. All, all like all all of that, but you see so many of the organizations right there in Silicon Valley who's literally committed. Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to, you know, BLM and, and other organizations. So it's, it, you know, yes, social media posts are important um, uh, from kind of a messaging, but uh, resources are what help sustain, um, you know, movements and initiatives. So are, you know, when you hear of the hundreds of millions of dollars that organizations were pledging, you know, what is, um, and I understand it wasn't in, you know, education, but, you know, how, what, what, what are your thoughts in and around that? Um, my thoughts around that, I, I, I think when we look at it, topics of equity, it has to do with the flow of money, right? So there's this, the pledging that's going out. Um, I, what I have found, and this was through my experience in Oakland as well, sometimes when the money is allocated, it's, it doesn't always get to the people that need it the most or it's not used in a way that really disrupts systems of oppression, systems of poverty. And so for me, with some of these companies that are pledging, I'm like, actually, why, aren't, why don't you look at your vendors? You know, why don't you look at the treatment of the, the things that people, ways people are getting paid? Like I'll see that people will donate to like, you know, nonprofits that are supporting children, but I'm just like, what, what about their parents? You know, what about the people that actually like disrupting poverty for their parents so they actually have an opportunity? And so for me, until really organizations are looking at like where these big, like multi-million dollar contracts are, to me, that, that that's more telling of what is going, what what's really going to happen, you know, versus like looking at it to me as an investment of a disruption of a system of oppression. And so to me, the way that resources are allocated has a big impact on that. 
I love it. I totally, I, I couldn't agree more. The, uh, so again, I, I always come back to, um, businesses having the ability to really change uh, entire ecosystems. Um, However, they they do need to be built from the uh, you know, so how do you build up the parents? How, how from workforce development to education to um, yes, childcare is super important. So I, I love I love that idea, uh, Kayla. Thank you for that. Welcome. How do you, you know, in the midst of all this, like you know, you you you're very open about you know your well being and your health. Like how how do you how do you take care of yourself? Cause you, you know, it's, it's what you're doing is you're taking care of other people um, in the way that they take care of others, but how are you taking care of yourself? Um, to tell you the truth, it's been, that process has really been a journey. And um, two years when I actually decided to make a transition out of education, it was because the weight of everything that was happening to me really caught up to me. And so I actually decided to pause, you know, and so I would I, I thought that simply pausing meant that my brain and my body would pause. Right. And so over the last two years, I've really gone through a process of like healing and understanding like what has happened to me as a person of color, as someone working in the community and really understanding that, you know, the same love that I give out to others is also the love that I need to receive for myself. And so um, one of the ways that I've really been understanding to been, been able to take care of myself is you know, seeking counseling. Another thing that's been really important is saying no. You know, because initially, even with my business, I was doing a lot of volunteering and I was just like, you can't have a business (laughs) if you're always volunteering. And so really understanding that my business is a vehicle to help support me, the important work that I do in the community, I'm a part of that. And so really understanding, centering like my own needs um, and my own healing has been so crucial in, in, in the process for me. One of the first times I met you, Kayla, you you said this phrase that just resonated with me and stuck with me because it was, you know, I think we met uh, probably around June and it was um, just an incredibly difficult time for for a lot of people and um, a lot of emotions rolling. And then just this overall feeling of like, what can I do? What should we do? And everyone's trying to figure out what we can do. Um, and you know, you're an entrepreneur, so you are very familiar on this, on what it's like to be running that treadmill to the point of burnout, but you said this phrase rest is a form of resistance and it really stuck with me. I was wondering if you could talk to to us a little bit about what, what do you mean when you say that? Yeah, to me, um, and this is something I definitely had to learn. Um, because I'm a fighter, I'm, a, I'm an advocate, like when I see injustice, I can't, you know, be quiet, you know. Um, the reason why I said rest is resist is resistance is because there, I, I believe that there is a cycle of like urgency of like, get it done. Like, if you don't do this, then, you know, nothing's going to happen. And it is actually, it's, it's, it is not productive. And it actually goes against the work of of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So part of that is like our humanity 
And the other part is really the ability to, if, if, you, if this is the work that you feel like you, it's your purpose and your call to do, then you have to be within balance. And so for some people, like to me, like instead of standing up, sitting down is their form of resistance. And what I mean by that is there are times, like I believe that there are ebbs and flows, like where, okay, if you wanna imagine like, hey, I'm running to the front of this movement, that's fine for other people at that time, they actually need to sit down because they need to preserve their energy, you know? And so for me, the idea of rest being resistance is this idea of self-care. You know, so if you're in a system that actually undervalues you and you're internalizing that and you're experiencing that, then how much more do you have to be a part of rejuvenating yourself and really making sure that you are healthy? And so for me, rest is resistant. So, I mean, whether I'm sitting or I'm standing, I know that I'm taking care of myself and I'm taking care of my community. And for me too, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to resonate with other members, other people that I know and love that have burned out, that have died early, that are no longer here because of the stress of trying to hold so much um, for, for themselves, within themselves and for their communities and their families. Well, and I, I gotta say, I think that, I mean, that's such an important, uh, and yeah, Nina, I'm with you, like I love, I love that statement because it is right. And people will weaponize and turn against you that, um, that constant movement, right. That, that tiredness that we feel when we're doing this work and it's, you know, it's that marathon and it sometimes it's a sprint. People will use that against us. So I love, Oh man, I love everything you just said. I think that's a powerful statement because especially now when we're trying to keep a movement going, you know, we, yes, that the, we're going to get tired, but, but also taking that time to take care of yourself can be such a huge, um, such a huge part of that movement. Well, so Nina, Nina, you've said this a time or 12, uh, that, uh, this, the DE&I space is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And so, you know, having the ability to uh, take care of ourselves for the long run is 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 got to be imperative. Um, when did you first find yourself uh, like uh, like when, when did you when did you leave education, Kayla? And like just uh, like fourth generation education. First of all, that's amazing. Uh, but then when 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 did you know when when was it apparent that okay like my time in education or this form of education is going to uh, evolve or mature. Like when, when, when did all that happen? And was there a trigger that kind of um, made that apparent for you? Um, I think I've had a couple of critical moments. And one of those moments was when my doctor said, your job is making you sick. Um, I think that was a critical moment for me. Um, and I also think when I was at the end of the school year, there was this tiredness that I felt that I had never felt before. And I really felt like it's like, if I kept on going, I felt like something bad was going to happen to me. And so I didn't know what it was, you know, but I think the exhaustion and like just seeing really seeing like all this work that I've been doing for so long 
um, realizing we weren't as far as we needed to be. And if I really wanted to help children, which I love, I love children, is that I needed to help their parents. And I was really going to have to be a part of dismantling systems. So in the classroom, um, I know I've been a, a part of, you know, raising children's self-efficacy and self-esteem and working with children and sorry, working with teachers and their parents. But I was just like, I realized that I was going to have to do something that was more disruptive to actually end a cycle. Um, and so I, I think that along with like really understanding like it, it, it's time for you to do something different. And that was so hard for me because I did have, I had, you know, people that will turn on you when you, when I said, I, you know, I just can't do this, you know, anymore. Um, and so I, I think my doctor telling me that I was sick, but also being like, I'm going to just push through to the end of the school year. You know, I felt such, I felt indebted, like I, I was responsible to the community. Like I couldn't just let, let them like go. Like I needed to support at least until the end of the school year. And that's what I did. Yeah. And wow. How, so, you know, you, you, you talked about joy with us before. Like, so how, how do you, how does joy come into all this? You know, you, you've talked about your health being affected, right? And, and putting your all into this work, but where, where does joy fit in? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, again, joy has been a journey for me. I know that people would call me and say, Hey, what's going on and stuff like that. And I had this desire, like I wanted to share, not, I didn't really feel like anything was going on <laughs> that I could share like, oh, I got this great job or this or that, or, you know, whatever it was like I, and I, there came a moment when I realized it's just like, if I wanted to have good news that I was going to have to choose to have joy. And so I think what has been critical for me is gratitude like really understanding the power of being thankful. And sometimes like I have a little sign um, in my room that says thankful, joyful, and blessed. And sometimes it's literally just me looking at that sign and being reminded of that. And so I think the way that joy has played in my life is very much connected to gratitude and it has to be separate from my circumstances. Because sometimes when I look at my circumstances, it's like, ooh, this is not looking good. But if I can maintain a joyful spirit um, and really a hopeful spirit, it's really powerful. I, I love that. And I, so to me that, that goes with uh, so much of what we're happening in today's environment. Like I've been calling this the pandemic powder keg with a George Floyd fuse. Like it's been um, this amazing time in history and throughout the pandemic, one of the kind of topics that I not talked about enough, but it, it's, it's so critical is this resiliency muscle. And so to me, when it sounds like you're talking about joy and gratefulness and, you know, showing, you know, like making that intentional conscious choice to be grateful um, in the in the midst of everything that's going on, it helps to build and support that resiliency muscle. And I so I love hearing that, uh, although that's that, that's what I believe. What, what are your thoughts on that, Kayla? Um, I do think it can definitely contribute to resiliency. I think part of my journey has actually been 
actually being able to experience my emotions. I think also sometimes I've, I, I have like wanting to be like joyful and different things like that. And that so much so that I would not allow myself to feel negative emotions. And what I've found is like, when I'm allowing myself to feel negative things, like being honest with like how I feel, it actually helps me transition into the next thing. And I think I've been afraid of feeling negative things. Like, it's like, I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to feel depressed, you know, but being honest with myself about where I am um, with others too, but also where I need to be. And so um, I actually, I think of resiliency as a muscle. And so it's not something that I think that like some people are like, oh, that person is just naturally resilient. No, <laughs> I've, I think for me, like I've had to go through a lot of really difficult circumstances, times when they, it hasn't been joyful, you know, for me, but eventually like seeing, see, seeing the good, seeing the beauty, even in really difficult times has been powerful. I, I, I love that. And I totally agree. I think it's, uh, um, you know, at the end of the day, and I, I understand, uh, we wake up in our own shoes and my shoes are dark. I am, I'm blind. I've been blind. Um, and people, I, I, it's, it's amazing. The, the, uh, the, the times I've had people just in, just in random airports, random bus stops, whatever, like, man, it must be really tough to be blind. I'm like, you know, actually I, I have a pretty amazing life. Um, I, you know, like I, 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 I choose that. Um, uh, but yet I, I know a lot of really grumpy, grumpy people out there and I wouldn't trade my eyesight for their uh, kind of uh, grumpiness for all the tea in China, you know, so I'm a, uh, I, I, I love it. I think it starts with uh, the attitude and um, that doesn't mean that I don't have dark days and it has nothing to do with blindness. It just has to do with acknowledging where, where you are and, and uh, what's, what's affecting you. But um, th to pull yourself up by the bootstraps is uh, it's, it's a routine and it's a technique that builds that, uh, that resiliency muscle. So. Yeah, I, I also think a part of the journey too has been like, I know we we talked about like, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging being like a marathon or a sprint. I also sometimes describe it as being um, like being on a cruise ship, like cruise ships when I've, I've been on a cruise just only once, but it was moving so slowly, it felt like it wasn't moving. And I think that there are small things that we each could be doing each day. And even, even for particular movements, the, our interactions with each other and the, the choices that we make each day can have a very big impact over time. And so I, I wanna also kind of put that, also you know, give voice to that when, as we're talking about resiliency. Oh, that's such a good point. I think like when we're in the grind, it's hard for us to see the impact we're having. Um, but I, I like that idea that like, if we take that step back and, you know, find the joy in our day-to-day -day lives, we, we will be able to appreciate the, the, the journey in a way that we otherwise we wouldn't have been able to. And, and Mike, I also wanted to speak to your experience. One of the things that um, I've been saying lately, and I was like, I should write an article or a book about this, is this idea of maximizing the margins. And it feels sometimes like when, you know, at least for me, when I've been shut out from particular groups, or um, it, it felt like, you know, it could feel like it's the end of the world. And um, I realized it was those times in which 
I wasn't invited, I wasn't included, that actually built resilience, it actually built creativity. So there's something really beautiful about being outside what people call the norm, you know? And so I just, I also just wanted to, to say that it's very powerful when you can take back marginalization and create it into a place like a beauty and a place where you springboard from and you appreciate and you embrace. I, I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for that because I, um, you know, I've, I've, I've like, I, I have no idea, no idea. Uh, I've been told I'm white, um, the way I dance. I think I, I, uh, anyway, I, um, but, uh, I, I don't, I I'm white and I don't know anything. I've never, I'll never have some bigot cops, you know, put his knee on my neck or anything like that. However, I've, I've felt, um, and heard and, and, uh, you know, been slapped with discrimination, um, a lot and, but it's not, to me, it's never about, you know, those actions. It's never about those moments um, because, you know, th th those belong to those people. So my attitude belongs to me and how I react. So I, it belongs to me and I can be the change that I want to see in the world. And I, I see a world of true equity. I see a world where everybody does look the same color to me, which is blur. And I, I see a world just full of beautiful people. And that's so that but that's that that has nothing to do with any how anybody else treats me that has to do with how I react. So uh, I love that, Kayla. And I am um, uh, really honored to have you on this podcast. And next time I'm in Colorado Springs, we'll have to have a socially responsible cup of coffee or lunch. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, Kayla, thank you so much. I, I'm so glad we finally connected. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just been wonderful just to sit and listen um, to you about your experience. And, you know, I think, I think it's the two key things that I'm taking away are that, yeah, don't, you know, don't give up. And we, we can find joy. And in, in those, it's, I think it's a cycle and they feed each other, right? So, um, yeah, I can't thank you enough, Kayla. It's been so great to chat with you. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure. If there is anything else that I can answer or you're kind of, you're curious about, please let me know. Absolutely. We'll definitely put your uh, your info and for any of our listeners out there that are looking for an amazing coach that uh, they would uh, like to um, uh reap the benefits from, please, please, please reach out to Miss Kayla because she is, uh, we only have 30 minutes to talk, but we could talk for three hours with her. So thank you again, Kayla. Thank you so welcome. Yeah, and thank you everybody for continuing to listen again. Um, and as always, check out chooseinclusion.com, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, soon to be Amazon Prime Music Podcast or something like that. Wow. So, yeah, we're just continuing to take over the world, but uh, we will be hopefully on their platform as well. So we just want to continue to get these voices out there as much as possible and use our platform to do that. So thank you, everybody. We'll um, we'll check you tomorrow. Take care. Thanks, Ubaldo. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.